folks, this is part two of a two-part conversation on foster care. If you missed the first uh, episode, you might want to go back and listen to that. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy. Thank you. If I told you things I did before, told you how I used to be, would you go along with someone like me? If you knew my story, word for word, had all of my history, would you go your home right yeah and we were kidless never had a kid we didn't know the fuck it we was were life. basically we were basically <laughs> so at the time i would have been like that was three years ago yeah i would have been 31 yep you would have been what 29. 29 we were basically kind of still children of a sort like we were well i think that we were forced into quick parenthood yeah. and what that meant was um a lot of our daily routine um was very self-centered. Upended, yeah. Yeah, and so that, our daily routines were upended in the sense that we didn't know what parenthood looked like. And that didn't matter if it was biological parenthood or foster parenthood or parenthood from birth or whatever. It was the fact that we were now caring for minors in our home. Uh-huh. We, we went from basically the only consideration in our day being ourselves and our yep. own happiness. Completely. To something that's not that. Yeah. And like, like, <laughs> Like, I guess what's it's hard, and our situation is different from probably from foster parents who have had their own children, but our situation is different because it's just, like, fucking immediate. Like, yeah. Like, it's just, like, like they're in your home. There was no transition time. There, there is no transition time. It's just, like, like you said, you went to lunch with them immediately after moving them down. You're like, oh, shit, I'm the one that has to correct this. <laughs> yeah. I'm the one that I'm responsible for making sure that they act right and yeah. they go to school, they get good grades. Like, yeah. like, that whole world was completely apart from us. I think, like, we didn't have the four years of kids growing up through babyhood mm-hmm. to to toddler, to preschool, mm-hmm. like, to, like, get ready for, like, I'm, I have to deal with the school. I have to deal yeah. with, like, the expectations. Like, nope. No. We have a, we have a fucking junior and an eighth grader, and we have to. A junior who was also needing to take, like, online courses to catch up on his schoolwork. Yeah, yeah. That we needed to manage. And, um. Yeah, so I think we jumped in, like, head first. I think yeah. that's fair to say. Um, we took two teenage boys that were brothers. Yeah. Um, they were good kids. I mean, they're good yeah, kids. Yeah, like, relatively speaking, like, we both have had enough cases to be able to say definitively, like, CJ and Andy were not problematic children. Yeah. They were obviously, um, and still to this day, um, children who've suffered extreme traumas. Sure. Um, and so that comes with it its whole host of things yep. that need to be dealt with. But they were not bad children. They wanted to please us. They wanted to fit in. They wanted to have a home. They're sweet. They're 
they're incredibly sweet kids um, that, you know, they had been victims of abuse and neglect. Um, their mother was incarcerated at the time that they came to live with us. Their father, um, the very first court hearing that we had them, within a week of us having them, a week or two, we went to a court hearing. It was the second hearing. Basically, they came into foster care because their father beat up CJ. I mean, there's not any yeah. other ways to say it. Physically beat him up, punched him in the face a bunch of times. Yeah. It was witnessed by one of CJ's friends. Yeah, as well as Andy. And and he had said, CJ had told people for a long time that this was going on. It never happened. Basically, it wasn't until the the, the independent witness, the, the friend saw it, that the police were believe the report they couldn't and, deny they couldn't deny the report anymore and they, responded to it they were responded they were moved they were sent to live with the and the uncle um then they came to live with us um we took them to their first court hearing wherein their father basically stood up and said um you know i don't want you know i would like to relinquish parental rights i don't want anything to do with them so from that first hearing within a matter of weeks we recognized oh this is going to be a long-term thing Right. And, and, and it's very rare. I would say it's very rare for a parent um, to appear at their very first court hearing after a child's been removed from their care and say, fuck it, I don't want anything to do with these shit. I've never seen it. I've never seen it in seven years of practice. I've never seen it. Yeah, because most parents are obviously um, very defensive when it first starts and they're willing to Fight for the fucking fight, kids. Yeah, fight, fight to prove that they were not wrong. Yep, they were not in the wrong. Yep, and how they were parenting their children. But, and unfortunately, for for our boys, I, I their dad was not willing to do that. Yep, and he did it, um, and said those words sitting right in front of them, and, which I believe, and sometimes I think about as um, like shit. Like I could have avoided that hurt for them, and I didn't do that. But I also, I guess, was just banking on the fact that their dad would try. Yep. So we we took these kids, assuming that, like most other HHS cases, uh, most of the three, three, they're called 3A, 243, 247, 3A cases in Nebraska. Yep. Abuse and neglect, abuse and neglect cases that uh, we, we took the kids with the assumption that there'd be some effort by the parents to reunify with the kids. But from the very first appearance, it became apparent that, that that was not going to happen. Yeah, dad was not willing. And so from the very jump, we're like, oh shit, this is a long-term thing, which was not what we signed up for. No. Uh, we signed up to be a short-term placement option, and we're forced with the, the choice or the decision, uh, the reality at least, of kids who are likely going to either be here for a long time mm -hmm. or going to have to move somewhere else. Yeah. Right? And so, like, so at some point, they're here for, you know, we said we'd take, we're, like, we are signed up for short-term placement. The state knows that. Correct. Yeah. About a month in, we get a call. That, it was still before Thanksgiving. Yep. Mm -hmm. We get a call that there's a placement in Grand Island that's willing to meet with the kids on a pre-placement visit to see if they'll consider them for long-term placement. Yeah. Right, and so uh, we talk. So, so uh, at this point, our boys, uh, CJ and Andy, had been going to school. They had transferred schools to Alma. Yep. And were attending school in Alma for at a, right at a month. Uh huh. They had lived with us for right at a month. Yep. And I will come forth and be in full disclosure to say that 
it still wasn't routine for me. Nope. At a month, Fuck at me. a month, I nope. was still very bewildered. Everything was just out of sorts. It's just, um, just, it's just so hard. We still had not established a routine. I felt like they were still strangers to me. I I describe it to people like like this, like teenagers especially mm-hmm. in your home in foster care. It's very much like roommates, <laughs> yeah. like for like six months. Yeah. Like they're like CJ was 16 when yeah. he came to live with us. Like, like so, so at 16, think about like developmentally where a person is. They formed opinions about yep. the world. Yep. Um, they have lived a lot of life. They have routines. They have preferences. They have style. The state they lets him drive a fucking car. Yeah. Like he can drive his own car wherever he wants. Like, um, you know, he has a style. He has certain clothes he wants to wear. He um, likes his favorite genre of you know, music. He, he doesn't like beef stroganoff hamburger helper. He only likes cheeseburger macaroni yeah, hamburger like, helper. He's like, in, he has established things. He knows how to make... He The kid has had to provide for himself. He's had to yep. provide for his brother. He's had to make it work when no one else in the world would make it work. Yeah. And so, like... But guess what? He doesn't come with a fucking cheat sheet. Yep. Like, I didn't get a sheet that says, like, well, he's only going to come to you with one pair of fucking blue jeans, but he only likes Wrangler cowboy cuts size 38, 32s. Uh, like, like, I didn't get that, you okay? Have to, you have to, like... I didn't get the Andy will only eat biscuits so long as they're canned and not frozen and not homemade and come with grape jelly and butter, not strawberry jelly. You don't know... Like, it, you like, don't know any... They're, they come... As teenagers, they come very formed. I wouldn't yeah. say fully formed. No, not they come, fully formed. They come very formed. You don't know any of that. No. And you're living lives in the same house. Yep. But together, but also separate. Very separate. Yeah. Because they're afraid of you disrupting the placement and them going yep. sh- getting shipped off somewhere else. Yep. Which has already happened. To, like We're the second placement since they've been in care. Um, we're afraid of... All right. When's the the other shoe gonna drop? Yeah. When is when is like when is something going to go wrong to where we just can't take and, it or like? And we'll be I'll be perfectly frank. Like CJ at this point, like he was like a big sixteen year old. He's like a two hundred pound, six foot sixteen year old. Like yeah, like two hundred fifty pounds. So it's not like it's not like a little kindergartner that like if he were to act out or throw a tantrum with me as his new caregiver, um, which would be a natural response. Yeah. I'm a new person in his life telling him what to do. A natural response might be to push back from that or have some trauma. If CJ you know. wanted to kick Jacqueline's ass, he could. Time, he could. Oh my god, he, he could. He, he could today. He could have the day he moved in. Yeah. Like he's a big like, boy. And and the reality of that setting in for me uh-huh. um, was also like huge. Like yeah. oh, if he doesn't do what I tell him to do right now, what could actually happen? Well, a lot of fucking things could happen. He could beat the shit out of me. He could run away. He could steal my shit. He could he could do a whole host of things, and I would be absolutely powerless to those so I think that our choice to um, invite teenagers into our home and 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 then exclusively just take teenagers as foster placements um, took some like tempering of my own expectations about it so I guess it's fair to say that like when I went into foster care um, you know I had the the dream of, of becoming someone's mommy 
um, or and saying that sounds very juvenile now, but like, but like becoming someone's caregiver, like genuinely becoming their person they rely on, the person they turn to, and and you know reading them bedtime stories and tucking them in at night. When you get a thirteen and sixteen year old into your house, like you're not tucking them fucking in at night. No, you're a fucking roommate, which is like <laughs> cir- like to circle back to what I was saying. Yeah, like so, you're you're a roommate. Right? So I think it's very simple. I think it's. I think it could be. I think there is potential for it to be a little bit easier transition for people who accept younger placements in foster care. Sure, yeah. Because a younger child is going to rely on their foster parent immediately Uh to cook for them, to tuck them in, to bathe them, to get them the places they need to go. Yep. When you take teenagers, it's a different dynamic in the sense that they know how to get where the fuck they need to go. Yep. They've got friends. They can drive. They can do this. They can do that. They can figure it out. They our, know they can figure it our out. Our kids had had to figure it out for themselves yep. for years yep. at this and, point. And they know how to cook food. The food they like, at least. They they like, they can... They... It's, you know, they come... They can to, run a microwave. They come to you with a preference for frozen fish sticks and pizzas <laughs> and ramen noodles because that's what they've had to make for themselves. And they know how and to make it, so they're not dependent on they're not, really they, they don't need you no. in the way that you suspect that they will. Yeah. They, like, like I said, they, they, they seem like they seem like roommates um, for the first, like, six months because you don't have an emotional bond to them, really. Nope. Like they're new to your home. Nope. They don't have an emotional bond to you. Nope. You're feeling each other out mm-hmm. for trust, and for love. For and they're like, still like normal teenagers. Yep. So boundary setting and towing the line is is just a natural thing for teenagers. They want to test the boundaries. Exactly. They want to they want to see what they can get away with. Like they want to like like they like for instance. When we would go to like the mall with our kids mm, when we first got mm-hmm, mm-hmm. CJ would be like, I don't need anything. He he would never need Mr. Anything. Tough Guy. Like, I don't need anything. Even though I know he needed tennis shoes or like, whatever. We, we know we need jeans or whatever. We know. He's like, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. Because he's the older brother. He's had to he's had to make it work for them. Yeah. He's the, made sacrifices. The, he's made sacrifices to make their situation work. The younger brother. Oh, he tested boundaries, continues to test boundaries of the other Oh, my God. He would be like, I need this T-shirt. I have to have this T-shirt. I'm like, Andy, you have 37 fucking T-shirts. Every single thing that he would see in the store that he wanted, he would try to just put into the the, the, the cart. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything. Just just to test us to see what yeah, he was Yeah, and it would, it would get to a point where he would just hold it up and be like, Jacqueline, yeah? And to this day, he still was like... There's still a little bit of that in him. Like sure. willing to just like see if he can say yes. Because yeah. like that's just a different way. It's, but but ultimately, like you when you look at it globally, it's just like... It's a trauma response. These kids, are, these kids are responding to what they knew in early childhood. And Andy sees it as a... Um, he never has been able to go to a store and just get what he wanted or even needed, yep. you know? And so ever in his life. Uh-huh. And so I think that he is a way to seeing it as a way for us to exercise and show or exhibit our dedication to him yep. in the sense that like, he thinks that that's meeting a need for him. Uh-huh. Even if he has 37 t-shirts at home, he wants this one. Uh-huh. So he's uh-huh. testing our relationship or our bond by saying like, do you care enough? Will about, you provide this? Do you me? care enough about me to provide this yep, for me? Yep. And so like, I guess, so we established basically, uh, that was a 20 minute conversation just to say, when you come in, you don't have, you're not bonded to them yet. Like, no. like you're feeling each other out. 
Um, after a while, you become more closely bonded. Mm-hmm. You do things together. You play board games and you spend time together. Sure. Um, you come to love each other. Um, at some, like at one point, we had to decide whether or not we were going to send them away or not. And we basically said, no, we're going to keep them. Yeah. Right? So we did come down to a phone call that said, like, okay, there's a you know a place that they could potentially go long term to meet, blah, blah, blah. And, and I didn't even allow our caseworker to set up the appointment. I, I, at the point, they had been living with us for a month, and it was just like the thought of now not knowing what was happening with these boys or that they're in safety or that they're happy and that they're changing schools again was just too overwhelming for me. I, I wouldn't do it. Someone tell me why I do the things that I said no we'll keep them so at that point we're committed and we we understand at this point because having been to that first court hearing we understand we're committed basically for long term yeah we had a conversation about that we understood what that meant right exactly um so so in nebraska what does that mean okay so a case plan can end in reunification yep which means that the children would be returned to their Caregivers are biological parents. Mm-hmm. The parents have abated the issues and the kids are safe to return home. Um, or they can trust the parents to not have those problems again and the kids can go home. Yep. Period. Yep. Um, the next, Reunification in this case was basically ruled out from the get-go. It was ruled out from the get-go given mom's prison sentence. Mom's so it was going to be prison. too long. Yep. And the fact that dad said he was not willing to participate in yep. meeting any new goals. From the very first hearing, dad said he wasn't going to do shit. Then he stopped going so to So the next option in a case plan would be uh, adoption. Yep. Um, which would be where the case plan or the case then turns to the goal of finding a placement for the children that will be long-term by people who are willing to adopt them. And in turn, terminate the parents' parental rights. And that was ruled out in our case basically because of the age of our kids yep. and their relationship with their mother. Um, their mother was in prison, mm-hmm. was going to be in prison for a while, but our kids knew who, basically, you know, they were old, they were teenagers. They knew who their mother was. They knew who their father wa- were. Um, they, they they had a good relationship with their mother. Um, 
they just basically they weren't able to be with her because she was in prison, right? Yeah, yeah, and and she had some questionable things that would need to be abated before they could live with her, but but it just wasn't realistic because she was in prison, and so, she can't work a case plan when she's in prison. So, yeah. you know, it, it was it was moot point. Dad wasn't willing, so these kids were open for either adoption and termination of parental rights or alternative case plan goals. Yep. So, there were... so given their age, the state doesn't really like to terminate parental rights willy-nilly um, because it costs money. Basically. It costs money. And essentially the older a child is, the less likely they are to be adopted from foster care. Yep. And the state never wants their numbers to look bad yep. on adoption or, or, or basically permanency for a child. Uh -huh. um, so they weren't willing to move forward with that. Uh -huh. So an alternative in Nebraska, and I know this isn't an alternative in all states, but an alternative in Nebraska is called guardianship. Yep. And that is where the parents who are involved in a case um, would consent to the child. They don't have to go through termination of parental rights, but consent to the child being placed with foster parents or an approved place yeah. um, for long term, either until they age out or until the parents... Um, this withdraw their consent. Yeah, or I mean, we're not even that, but before court orders that they can be returned to their parents, yeah. essentially. Um, but yeah, so like they went into guardianship with us. So yeah, and we, we we decided we would take guardianship to kids. And but basically, the commitment level on our side, what that meant was that we would be willing to see them till they aged out at the age of nineteen, yep. or until mom got out of prison and wanted to have them back. Yep. And the court was willing to place them back with her. Like, exactly. Fundamentally, so even, like, basically, there's, like, the once you go into guardianship, the judge has to decide. So they come with us, right? They're in guardianship with us. Mm -hmm. um, and that's considered, quote, unquote, a permanent placement, right? They're with us. They're You're in the role of a parent there, and you have the, all the, the authorities of a parent. Um, so you care for them. They go into guardianship with us. That also means that the that like we don't have to meet with caseworkers and all of the stuff that's involved with the court process um, every month, which was also a big relief. Until one day um, in uh, the autumn of what would it be like 2018, we get a call from the county attorney. Uh, oh yeah. And, Are you talking about Michael's placement? Yeah. Okay, this would have been August the 2nd uh -huh. of 2018. Uh-huh. And uh, so how it went down is kind of fucking funny because we got okey-doke. We got fucked by the state here. <laughs> um, but on, yeah, August 2nd, 2018, I get a call or I get a text message from the, from the county attorney in a nearby county who I work with a lot. And he says, hey, can you call me? So I call him. He says, hey, I'm at court. We need a placement for this kid. For a teenager. For a teenage boy. We know that you have teenage boys right now in your home. Um, just from knowing you and your situation. It's going to be very short term, but we need a place for him to go tonight. What do you say? And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I can't say yes. Because Jacqueline will fucking murder me. I can't say no because Jacqueline will fucking murder me. Uh -huh. yes, exactly. I said, you're going to have to call Jacqueline and ask her. And he was like, well, I already did, but I, I'll try again. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, just 
Call her and see what she says. So, dear listener, Jacqueline was in an all-day divorce trial. To date, one of my worst ones, okay? That's why I recall it. And um, I get out of a break in the afternoon and see that the county attorney had called me. So, I immediately think that, like, one of my children that had already in my care have, like, set my house on fire or some shit. Because it's the county attorney of my county calling me. And he called me twice and didn't leave a voicemail. So I just know there's an emergency. Like, I just know it. So we get on a break in the afternoon of my divorce trial. And I um, I text him and just say, like, is everything okay? And he says, oh, I'd just like to talk to you as soon as possible. So I, of course, call him on that break. And he tells me, Justin's already said okay. Um, I hadn't. There's, there's a kid that just needs a short-term placement until school starts. Um, to give to give him and his caregiver a break. It was a lie. Can you do it? And I was like, well, shit. You've already talked to Justin about it. Lie. That sounds fine. Lie. I don't have time to deal with you about it. You didn't. Um, so that's fine. Whatever. Cool. Yeah. I wouldn't have said that. And by the time I got home at 435, <laughs> um, the caseworker from Department of Health and Human Services was calling to let us know she'd be here in the next hour to drop off our new placement. Uh-huh. Mind you... Our new placement was a 16-year-old boy, uh-huh. um, quiet kid, tiny kid, yeah. like super small for his age. Uh-huh. Um, 100, 110 pounds. Like, we know nothing about him. Yeah. All we know is that essentially this placement has been in foster care for a while and his current placement, which is in guardianship, um, and he were just having some conflict. Yep. So they wanted to give them a break until school started. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Michael came. So we're grilling brats, and the caseworker pulls up. <laughs> I, was out, I was out, yeah, I was out there grilling, grilling meats and uh, drinking beer. Michael tells me, you know, after the fact that, and I saw him drive by, but they drove by the house. They apparently didn't realize which address it was. They drove by once before, and Michael tells me, you know, he tells the story about how he saw me out there grilling, and, beer. Dr- grilling and drinking beer, and he just goes, I hope that that's not the family because that guy's drinking beer. Yeah, and the caseworker was just kind of like, oh, he's drinking beer. I doubt that'd be the placement. Yeah. Like, they're drinking like, beer the day they know they're going to get you. But, but of uh, course, it was us. Yeah, it um, was me. And so, anyway, they dropped I Michael. I was drinking a beer. They dropped Michael off, and um, long story short, he never leaves. Yep. Uh, by the time it came time for him to move back in with his placement, his placement had uh, kind of refused to take him back and yep. sold all his shit. Um. So Michael moves in with us with absolutely nothing. Nothing. Like I mean, a, even less than CJ and Andy yep. in, an impress, in an impressive sense. Yep. Um, and we get him enrolled in school, and then never look back. We've got a third. Yep. And so the 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 three of them are, you know, they become like brothers. Collectively, I'd say they get along very well. Get along very well. They're very like they're all very sweet kids. Um. Life is good, but also hard. It's hard. Like like with three kids, um, you know, you have to switch from a man to man to, to zone defense. You're in a zone defense. <laughs> like like the, the, the thing with three, once you get to three, you're constantly, you're constantly serving the needs, the emotional and, and, and physical sometimes, like material sometimes needs of of a kid you're doing that constantly and i feel like you took out on so much during that time like you were just like 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 i feel like i feel like the time period when we had all three of them like 
as a mother, you were just like buried in shit constantly. Well, what was really unique about the situation when we added Michael to it was the fact that within a week of him living with us, it was his 17th birthday. Uh -huh. So then I threw a birthday party for a 17-year-old kid that I knew nothing, absolutely didn't know, nothing didn't know anything. We, we went to Island, hey, Island, shout out Island Oasis, Grand Island yeah. and friends. Um, <laughs> you know, so there was just like some unique things that immediately hit. You know you like that Lazy River. Um, I did like that Lazy River. But, but, but was unique too about Michael is that he had not had a strong mother figure in his life since he was like five years old. No, yeah. And he was turning 17 that uh, week that he moved in with us. Um, so he very much so relied very heavily on me. It yep. was, it was as if, um, because the prior placement he had was just a man. Um, he had had not, did not have a mommy figure in his life for like the last 10 years before mm -hmm. he moved in with us. And so he immediately glommed on to me and my, the expectations of me as a mother were, um, let's just say exercised, they, <laughs> pushed to the fullest extent. You're like, he, he, he continues to this day mm -hmm. to rely on you in ways that like just, um, he doesn't on me. Like, I don't know how yeah. to say it. Like, and, like, and that are atypical for his age. So he in the sense loves that, having a mother. So in the sense that he almost reverted back psychologically to like six-year-old Michael. Yep. When he did finally have a female figure in his life to care for him. Yep. Um, so he just relies a lot on me in a, in a lot of different ways. And I'm happy to meet that need, but it is... It is um, some some more volume in in my already limited kind of um, space. While while the two older ones were in the home, while all three of them two. were in the home. Oh yeah, yeah. While all three of them were in the home, you were asked to perform so many functions so constantly that I could t tell it wore on you. Definitely. And the thing about it was, is I don't know why this is. I'm sure that there's some there's plenty of psychological reasons to explain why this was but these kids never came to me often for yeah. anything well and i think the psychological reasons are that you know one set had been directly physically abused by their father figure uh -huh. and then the other set had basically been ripped away from the only mother figure he had known and then never had that replaced in any way for him during very formative years yeah so given those two different dynamics um Mom was who they sought out for comfort, yep. and and I was the best thing to that uh -huh. for them uh, immediately upon their placements yep. with us. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and I'm not, and I'm gonna be frank, like like I think I've handled it, but like I'm not the most nurturing person, uh -huh. um, and I'm also not necessarily um, someone who finds joy in motherhood. Uh -huh. Um, that role is not something that I've based my identity on and it's kind of like whatever on that. Yeah. So um, it was hard for me and I know that other areas of my life def definitely hurt because of it um, because it was a very draining process. Sure, sure. So like, And I've probably, you know, I don't think that that's unique to fosterhood, foster parenthood. I think that it's probably the, the plight of many mothers who, who just had their first biological child or even their second biological child or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's a new role.
to do your dirty work, oh yeah. I don't want to do your dirty work no more. I'm a fool to do your dirty work, oh yeah. Light the candle, put the light on the they're here. <laughs> Michael also is barreling toward guardianship. We go into guardianship with him. Correct, yeah. um, he, and also doesn't eat anything but chicken strips and hot Cheetos. So like, so like we, <laughs> you have these kids. They're, yep. they are um, the products of lifetimes of abuse, and neglect. Mm -hmm. They, and also having lived long lifetimes if you will, long periods of time at least, not in our care. Uh -huh. So just maybe of different um, ideological things, different attitudes about things, sure. different different everything, different foods they normally have for dinner, that kind of stuff. Yep. Like one time I was taking – me and Andy were going for a drive. I don't remember where we were going. But I, remember, I, remember, I was taking him up to the archway – the the Great Platte River Road archway monument. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get haircuts or something. Um, and and he, I remember he he told me about how they'd been studying Rosa Parks in school, mm -hmm. um, but he couldn't say Rosa. He didn't remember the name of Rosa Parks, but basically like the black woman that wouldn't get up on the bus. Mm -hmm. And I remember him basically just being like, "Yeah, she just caused a big commotion for no reason." And I remember, <laughs> and I remember like. Being like having to think about uh, who you're talking about, and then like him telling the story, and be like, "Oh, you're describing Rosa fucking Parks." Just and, a big commotion. And like, like he's like, <laughs> and him being just like, "Yeah, she she just got up," and I'm like, "You know, like I knew immediately, like he had been told that by somebody else." Yeah. Like an adult in his life, at some yeah. point in his life, had told him that Rosa fucking Parks uh -huh. should have just got up and shut her fucking mouth. And like, they come to you like this. Yeah, well, if you recall, one of the very first fights um, CJ and I had. So CJ's our very oldest and um, very ingrained in him that maybe respect for women is not something that you have, period. Mm. Um, women are just... Anyway. Um, different Different values. <laughs> different values. One of the very first fights, if you recall, Justin, was me telling CJ that, like, I had bought him a new wallet and I had um, told him that any other things that had Confederate flags on them, like, weren't going to be tolerated We're coming in into our, our house. fucking house. And I bought him a brand new fucking nice hooey brand Western ass wallet to replace the Confederate flag one. And he threw a fit. Like, yeah. he was just like, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be all, like, liberal like you are. And I'm like, oh, first of all, like. You got it all wrong, but you have no fucking all, idea. But. <laughs> but second of all, uh, it doesn't take being a fucking liberal or whatever the fuck you think I am um, to to not allow Confederate flags in our house in goddamn Nebraska. Yeah. Like, um, it's just not going to happen, and that's where I'm putting my foot down. That was one of the very first arguments we had. Uh -huh. um, Yeah, and so it's like like we talked about, like they just come to you they at, at come, this age with with. They come mostly formed, and, and you have to be like, you have to be like, no, you can't have that Confederate flag wallet. Yeah. No, Rosa Parks wasn't <laughs> causing an unnecessary stir yeah. by not just going to the back of the bus and reteaching like, those things is hard. Yeah, those like, types of things, like 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 teaching a kid, um, 
not to be racist when and they're think, 16 or 15 or whatever. I think maybe one of the most thing, the biggest things that I was naive about with regard to foster care was the um, kind of the age old like nature versus nurture thing. Like, yeah, it is really incredible, and I never believed it until I've lived it now. Uh -huh. um, that how formative the first few years of a child's life really are. Yeah. Um, and how those those habits that are formed when a child is is born and young, um, not only the habits, but also just the care that they receive, their ability to rely on others, their needs being met, how formative that is for them for their entire fucking life. Sure. Like the, the food security issues are yep. like so, like in our cases have been so prevalent. Like, yep. like our kids... Um, have all at times hoarded food underneath mm -hmm. their beds. Mm -hmm. um, the um, the uh, um, some some of the like we said regression into some of the maybe um, poor race relations that yeah. we've seen, uh, or just like you know ideologies that are yeah. in, they've instilled on them or that they've seen and they're trying to mimic. Work, work ethic. Um, work ethic is a huge um, one. Cleanliness. Um, Hygiene. You know, so they come to you. They come to you. Um, they haven't been modeled. A, they haven't been modeled a pattern of behavior where consistent, long-term effort will lead to progressive gains of success over time. Right. So uh, they don't understand that. And no. They don't believe it. And so and I think like, a big part of that that's been that was the first illustration of that to me. And I've actually talked about this with several other foster parents I know. Is like. Um, it's like respect for things that cost money yeah. or whether they're experiences or whether they're actual things like taking care of a car that you give a kid yep. or yeah. something like that. Ooh. Yeah. Like, like they've never had a, a nice thing. Yep. Uh, they've never seen their parents achieve a nice thing. Right. Work towards something that, um, would then you would then want to invest in and take time to care for uh -huh. because you work so hard for it. Yep. Uh, if they have had nice things, it's been, uh, given kind of outside factors, uh -huh. um, stolen or achieved or, yep, yep. or given to them or whatever. Yeah. And so because of that, that's very hard to understand the like, well, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to keep the car clean. Yep. You know, like we're just going to not leave trash in we're it. We're not going to leave McDonald's wrappers and everything else in it. We're going to um, treat it with respect. Yeah. Treating things with respect. And that, and I, I, that even I think goes to our pets and everything else. Like I, I know, for instance, one set of our children uh, saw lots of animal abuse in their life. And yep. so, like, their ability to respect um, kind of boundaries and... Our request not to do that. Yeah, not, with not our pets see, has not been... Not to shout at them and you hit them and... Yeah, has been uh, one of the harder lessons for them, for sure. Yep. And so, like, they... they I mean, I guess the greater... The bigger picture is they come to you knowing what they knew as, as a young child. And that's hard on you as a foster parent. Mm -hmm. To get back to more to the less, like the conversation, like as a foster parent, you have to really, like it, it took us a long time to accept and appreciate that. Yeah. That like, that you have to model consistency and good behavior, good values, good morals, constantly each and every day for a number of years for these kids to have a chance of reflecting your values and the things that you think that they need to reflect. And I think what you said operatively world. there is it's still just a chance. Yep. 
Yep. Um, the formative years are formative for called that for many a reason. The psychological reasons I don't even pretend to know um, even the slightest about. But um, those first years and first months of these kids' lives formed them yeah. incredibly entirely, and we can only hope that like through good influence or whatever, our own influence, I'm not even going to say good or bad, I don't even want to qualify it that way, but different influence that they can um, learn or achieve in a way that we've seen as successful for ourselves. Yeah, and like you just, you know that they're good people. Right. They're good people that haven't been modeled or don't understand that hard work and hard effort can lead to a better life than what they know right now. Right. Like little things. Like, like uh, for instance, CJ just missed like two eye appointments in a row. Because um, he is out on his own now. I'm, I'm relying on him to get himself to those appointments. He is 19, about to be 20, working, doing his own thing. And, um, like, the eye doctor called me and said, hey, like, CJ didn't show up. This is the second time in a row. And I... I said, okay, you know, thanks for letting me know. And I, I immediately texted CJ and just said, hey, bud, like, is there a reason why you haven't made it to your eye appointments? And his response was just, oh, I forgot, um, was the first one. And the second one was, oh, um, I'm quarantined right now because of COVID or whatever. And I, I, I tried to make it clear to him, like, if that is the case, you have to call. Like, yeah. like little, little things like that, like, that may not have been important to... Um, but you haven't seen them. You haven't seen someone do. Yeah. And so, like, you just have to say, like, hey, the, the polite thing to do, the right thing to do in this situation, the the thing that is going to net you the most positive is for you to call and be forthcoming with the optometrist's sure, office and sure. say, hey, yo, optometrist, uh, I'm quarantined right now. I'm not going to make it for my appointment. Um, please free up that time and let's get me a new date. And what's so sad is that, like, I see so many clients in, like, the criminal law mm -hmm. context mm -hmm. that, like, get warrants and end up in jail for failing to show up to court when if they would have called me two days before I could have got a continuance. Exactly. Like 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 it's like it's and so like, I think what it's makes a, it... it's a failure to to understand the situation you're in and deal mm -hmm. with it that like you have to that you only that that most people only know because they've seen and Someone else grow, deal with they've it. They've grown up around their parents or their grandparents or their guardians or whoever dealing with it. And you see it and you're mm -hmm. exposed to it from a very young age. And I found myself after talking to CJ about it still feeling very um, unresolved on the issue because I don't feel like he like gets it. Took the lesson. Yep. Yeah. No, he was just still like, fuck Jacqueline. Like I just missed the appointment. It's not that big a deal. Yep. But like, um, and I think probably a lot of parents struggle with this, even if they've modeled behavior, but with, with teenagers or with young adults that are learning to be out on their own is that like we know the potential consequences of that action because we've now lived it you know yeah. we're a little older we've this isn't our first rodeo kind of situation yep we've been around and i feel like maybe with a foster child who you've taken in or have tried to parent at the later stages in their life um this lesson is even pushed back on harder and that is that, like, like they don't necessarily trust that I'm not blowing shit out of proportion or not uh, just trying to control them. Yep. That I am genuinely saying this, like, hey, if you miss another one, like, you know they're not going to see you anymore. And then who are you going to use for a fucking optometrist? Yep. Like, they don't understand consequences. No one's ever busted my balls the way that you have, and I've yep. been able to get to where I am. And, 
life because ever and even if where you are isn't that great yep, i think no, cj can acknowledge that nobody, where he is right now is not that great but nobody has perspective that way no nope. like like no nope. like it's like everybody always like i think is a like as a psychological crutch has to believe that they're okay yeah and so like even if i've been able to scrape by this life that i have now by living by this certain set of values and codes um i don't like i don't trust what you're telling me because um, that that sounds hard and scary and unknown to me, and like how like I guess when you get to why you do foster care ultimately, especially for teens, like 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 when I think about why I'm doing it, it's about giving like we well, like we talked about like it's like about giving them a chance. Yeah. And how you give them the chance is by modeling that code until the hope that. Maybe that some of it sinks in yep. and that they get it. I think the hardest realization for me has been that like a hundred percent of it isn't gonna sink in. Nope. And I know that I wanna believe that like, oh, I've been so formative to them because I they lived with me and I took them in in these last few years of their life and saw them into adulthood, but like Fuck, it's, I need to keep in perspective, and I think I've gotten better at this over time, but got to keep in perspective that they had like 16 years prior to me. Yep. Formative years. Yeah. They also still have parents that are in their lives, uh -huh. I mean, for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah. know that both Michael's and CJ and Andy's mothers still keep in contact with them yeah. um, regularly. Uh -huh. um, and that comes with a whole different set of things, yeah. but but we won't delve into that. But what I'm saying is that, like, 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 I have maybe flipped my whole world upside down to try to just provide um, what I believe are basic necessities and goodness for these three boys. Sure. And what I have had to come to grips with and what I think I'm finally okay with now that we've gone through the process for a while is that it's okay if I haven't had that same impact. They ain't like nothing they used to be From Rocky Mountain to Northeast Tennessee Where the river flows with a dusty cold disease And the babies whine cause they can't find nothing to Mama, she ain't hungry no more She's waiting for a knock on the trailer door It's gonna rock you like a hurricane It's gonna rock you till you lose sleep It's gonna rock you till you're out of a job It's gonna rock you till you're out on the street It's gonna rock you till you're down on your knees It's gonna have you begging pretty please Which I think came from two things. My, I had a probably a greater involvement in the, the juvenile court system than had like mm -hmm. like at least with the kids. On this side of it. On yeah. this side of it, um, I had a, I think I came in with a more realistic ex, like expectations. Uh -huh. Also, um, 
I think that I'm kind of more naturally pessimistic than you. Definitely. <laughs> um, and so I, for a long time, Jacqueline beat herself up because she felt, and in my view, she felt like she wasn't the perfect parent. Yeah, they were still making bad decisions. The, the kids were continuing <laughs> to make bad, like, so the, the police have been called to our house and all three of our kids. They've yes. been, they've been yes. interviewed. Each one of them have had police involvement at least once. They've been interviewed, whatever. We've we've caught goddamn fucking vapes and tobacco cigarettes products and, and cigarettes. Chew. All that shit on all three of the kids. Great kids. They've made some dumb mistakes. They're teenagers. They're doing a lot of the stupid shit that we did as teenagers. Um, but I think... But, like, they also, at times, will express things that make it clear that they're not learning the global picture of the lessons that we've been trying to teach them about how you treat people or how you should carry yourself in the world or that, like, the only way to get forward if you're coming from a perspective of a lower middle class person to wanting to have a better life is to work and bust your ass. The kids don't get that, right? The kids don't seem to get that. No. And so um, that's, in my view, I've seen on you, I've seen it, it's been hard on you. Um, it's 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 torn you up because I, I feel like you feel that you're not doing a good enough job. Yeah. Right? Like how do you feel like, I guess like to get to like, to kind of like wrap up this conversation, how has foster care affected you as a foster parent, Jacqueline? I think it's hard for me to give an answer to that because I do feel like maybe my answer is incongruent in the sense that I feel like foster parenthood has affected me in so many immeasurable positive ways Yeah. Um, by being a parent to children. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel like I'm more patient. I do feel like I have a better perspective on parenthood. I feel like I have a better perspective on different socioeconomic classes. I feel like I have a different perspective on trauma and how, how to deal with it. One thing I've noticed about you is you're way less judgy of other parents. Like you used to do this thing that like, even at the time I was like, like, but you were, you would be like. I can't, I can't believe they'd let their kid do that. Yeah, I can't believe... I can't believe I, they'd let their kid wear that. Like, get their kid... Like, get your shit together <laughs> with a kid. And you don't do that anymore. No. Because you've been that. Yeah. And I think that in the many positive ways it's changed me is that I do feel like our relationship has grown uh-huh. in ways um, that are kind of immeasurable um, or markable but are, are profound. I also feel that, like, I've just kind of grown up a little bit. Like, being responsible for someone else and their care... Um, just kind of forces you to grow up a little bit and um, make sure that someone else's needs are met in a significant way that aren't just like dogs and cats. Um, So I think that that's one uh, big thing about um, my perspective or my view on how foster parenting has affected me and how I feel like that's incongruent or how my response would be incongruent is that I also can wholeheartedly 100% say probably two definitive statements um, now that I've been through foster parenting and I've parented. And one is that um, I don't want biological children of my own. 
I do not care to experience that kind of parenthood um, or extend our parenting timeline at this point. Uh-huh. And two is that um, I maybe wouldn't do it again. Yeah. And I don't really know what I mean by that, but just the fact that it's been hard. Yeah. There have been really hard days, uh-huh. uh, weeks, months at yep. a time. Yep. And, and I don't know that I would voluntarily subject myself to that hardness again. Yep. No, I, I, it's hard in ways that it's like, it's difficult to really put to words. Like you spend so much time trying to build a relationship with these kids. Mm -hmm. Once you have it established, then it seems like always there's something that happens. um, That questions that again. That like, like. You feel like you've you're finally getting to a point where you know and trust the kid, and then mm. boom, you catch them at school with a vape or whatever, or they fail a drug test at the school, or, or they sneak out, they sneak or they out, the car, or they or... they yeah they fuck god damn they fucking <laughs> don't take care of the car that you let them drive yeah. or whatever they lie like, to you or whatever they, like they you catch them in a simple or, ass lie. or they say something shitty like well you're not my mother yeah or, or that type of thing <laughs> like and that they did that to you way more than, yeah. like that type of thing like, really like, hurts you more than it hurts me like, be I'll be in a serious conversation with one of them particularly uh-huh. um and asking them to take an action and them ignoring me because, oh, I need to respond to this text to my mom about nothing, about fucking absolutely nothing. Jacqueline, you especially, it seems like, I've never felt like I was in competition with any of these kids' fathers. Yeah, because their fathers are fucking wholly absent. And and, (laughs) and that may be, but, like, at the same time, like, like, I've noticed you, like, you were, like, yeah, that type of thing, like, like you get offended when you will bend over backwards to provide mm-hmm. for these kids, and then mm-hmm. because they're kids and mm-hmm. they're totally they're, they 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 have decade of life before you where mm-hmm. they they had to rely on this other person to provide for them. Um, they're they're bound and protective of this other person, whether or not they should be or not, or whether or not it's in the best best interest or not. Well, and that other I've, person is actively fucking not pursuing a relationship. And I've with seen them. I've seen how that hurts you. Yeah, it and, is very hurtful. And, and I think so, if I'm being being hundred so, percent real right now, is saying that like I do think it's way easier for you because the dads are just not even trying. The dads are not in the picture. Truth they is, never I relied on their dads. But I also know that like. I probably wouldn't care because, like, the di- the difference, I think, between you and me personally is that, like, I never went in with the perspective that I was going to be their dad. So if, if one of their fathers came in dropping them off after a visit, like, just happened last week, and they said, hey, Justin, you really need to get him a new pair of shoes because I don't really like these ones. I'd basically be like, fuck off. Like, yeah? Yeah. Well, I'm not like, fuck off. So I guess it is a me problem. Yeah. But last week. No, I was whispering you too. Okay. Okay. Exactly. So motherfucking bitch comes in my house and wants to be like, oh, you really should get him some new shoes. Uh, uh, fuck you! I almost lost fuck my shit. Fuck you! Fuck I lost you! My shit. Like, come on! That was one of one of the maybe three. I can count at least on one hand of times where I was not willing to be the adult in the situation. Where I, I mean, I did end up being the adult in the situation. Didn't say anything. I think I handled it fine, but I did not want to. You be have the adult to, in as a situation. foster parent, you have to prepare yourself. Yeah. For situations where people who have been taken out at the knees by the system mm-hmm. and told that they are not fit 
to have the care of the children that they've and born. And who have not only been taken out of the knees by the system, but have chosen to not maybe do the work to fucking take care of. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking from their perspective. I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and speak from their perspective, mm, right? Okay. They. I'll allow it. These people. I, I'm a defense <laughs> attorney, so I'm going to try to try to put myself in their perspective. Okay, let's hear it. There are people that have been taken out at the knees of the system. Uh-huh. And they're constantly being told all of what they're doing wrong or yep. why they haven't they're not mm -hmm. able to raise their kids or whatever. I believe that. And so they're naturally in a defensive position and they want to they want to cling on to a sense of at some time in the past, I was a provider for these kids. And so but they're so at this point they're years removed from that. Mm -hmm. And so the response is like I know material needs that they need. I don't know anything about these kids anymore cuz years later they've become young teenagers and young adults. Literally yeah. literally turning into adults outside of my life. Mhm. Mm um, without any of my help or my assistance or my input or my mm -hmm. leadership, mm -hmm. um, I don't know how to convince myself that I'm acting in the role of a parent at all, other than to say that their material needs need to be met. Mm -hmm. And so I will recall some memory of the child I had when he was younger, mm -hmm. which they do. This fucking happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then they will say, "Oh, he's always wore shoes." He's always shoes needed shoes fast. with orthotics. Or, he's always wore shoes yeah. that fast, or his he always has bad ankles, or he just constantly is falling and scuffing up his knees. Well, guess what? You haven't lived with him since he was uh, eight years old. Yep. He's sixteen now. Uh huh. Uh, and as a child, that may not be true anymore. And first as a of all, and as a foster parent. Mm -hmm. You have to fucking grit your fucking yep. teeth. And I did. I did. I you gritted. have to grit your fucking teeth and just accept that what is occurring mm -hmm. is not about you. Exactly. It's not about the kid. It's about a it's about a person who made a bunch of mistakes in their life. And, is and choices. And, not just mistakes. Yeah, choices. Mistakes, choices, whatever. They made a bunch of fucking mistakes. Mm -hmm. That led to them losing their children, mm -hmm. and they have no other way psychologically to deal with that, mm -hmm. to excuse like to excuse themselves of that, other than to say going forward, get your get the kids some new shoes. Yeah, so I guess um, that is one big failing of myself that I've felt through through fosterhood, foster parenthood. Fosterhood's a weird, weird thing to say. Foster. Anyway, fosterhood, <laughs> foster parenthood. Um, in the hood. In the hood. Um, is that I, throughout training and throughout the beginning stages of our life as foster parents, I was like, you know, I'm going to be one of those good foster parents who's like all about reunification and supportive of the biological parents and able to have a good relationship and a positive relationship with the biological parents. And I believe I even made some of these statements uh -huh. when we were in training. Like... Oh, it's not going to be a problem for me to give the kids back. Or, you know, I'm going to work with the parents because I want to see them That's succeed. what we thought we were getting into. That's what we thought and, was and our role. The problem, I think, what has what has kind of warped for me is that um, the parents in both of our 
sets of children's situations have chosen not to pursue case plan and work a case plan for reunification upon the typical timelines. So because of that, I psychologically got over that hump and made long-term commitments to our boys in my brain and in my heart. You had to. Because we were and because of that, that, now allowing the parental contact and visitation that we do, when they come back at me with statements like, oh, he's going to need new shoes because he needs shoes because he's always had white feet and they blah, 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 or whatever the fuck the statement is, uh-huh. is hard for me. Yeah. And I, I want to justify my inability to deal with that. And like, I turn like straight thug when I hear those statements or whatever. Oh, hell no. I do. I do. But oh, like, no, I want to justify, I wanna oh, justi- fuck no. I want to justify my reaction by saying that if this had just been a short term thing, I would accept that more, uh-huh. but because it's evolved into long-term commitments for us with our boys, psychologically, I don't give a fuck what you say, bitch, and you better not even say it when you're standing in my oh, goddamn house. Like, how dare you, right? Exactly, like, and that's you? been my reaction. I know it's not healthy, and I know it doesn't get us anywhere, and I know it doesn't help the kid, and I know so many things, but in that moment, I swear to God, I could I could cut a bitch. Yeah. Like, I, I, get, I get straight thug, and I know it's not healthy, um, but it's very hard. I get very territorial, even though I know that for Andy, for CJ, for Michael, I'm not their mother. Yeah. They have moms. Yeah. They have mothers. They have mothers. I am their Jacqueline. They know their mothers. They know their mothers. I'm just their Jacqueline. Yeah. And while in the traditional sense that may take on roles that look like motherhood, it's still different. And it, it will always be different. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's any lesser. It just means that it's different. Yep. And that has been hard for me. Uh-huh. And I think that... I think that what I see is it's different from kid to kid as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think that you're much more akin to Andy's mother than you were to Michael or CJ. I think that you're much more... Yeah. Because um, he's the youngest. Definitely with CJ, for sure. Um, you know, CJ was 16. He was half. He was a third of the way through his junior year when he came to live with us. Yeah. Um, because of life, he had to... He had to shield himself a little bit. Yeah, and, and in certain ways, he was already very adult-like. Yes. Um, Socially, he was very mature, but adult-like in very many ways of like caregiving and stuff like that. The other two, um, I think, have been more willing to accept you as a and me as well as a as people in their lives who will provide and care for them, mm-hmm. um, which is good and. You know, it, it, at good time, for them. It's good yeah, for it's them. good for them. I think it's good for them. I think that I feel like my feelings as a foster parent um, come from maybe almost a uh, an extreme nihilism. Which would be uh, on brand for you, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that, like, <laughs> I think that... I think that realistically, looking back now, three years later, getting in, your hopes were way too high for our abilities. My hopes were way too low. And I think that what, where we've met is in the middle. I think that we've raised three kids. We've helped to raise. We've helped to raise three kids um, through formative, important years of their lives. We've given them experiences that they wouldn't have without us. We've We've supported them through shit that they needed. We've helped yeah. them through legal problems. We've helped them through um, the awkwardness of teenage mm-hmm. relationships and 
making sure they have driver's license, making sure that they um, get into college, making sure that they apply for scholarships and mm-hmm. and all of that shit. We've gone to their games. We've gone to their, their cross-country meets. We've been there when they needed us during during the time of their need during the period that they were with us. Mm-hmm. Um, that does nothing to guarantee any sort of success in life. No. But I am confident. I have to convince myself, as nihilistic as I am, I have to convince myself that but for our place in these kids' lives, they would have been much worse off. Yeah. They would have been... They would have been listless. They would have been, they would have ended up somewhere else mm-hmm. that may have been better, but I doubt it. Like, I guess, yeah. I guess there's my. I guess the way I've, I've learned to kind of accept, and I think that this has had to change dramatically from my initial expectations of being a foster parent, um, is that my role in all three of our boys' lives has been um, safe. Yeah. And it has been. Um, potentially enriching, but it has not necessarily meant um, in any way like life. I was sitting in my room, my mom and my dad came in. They pulled up the chair and they sat down. They go, Mike, we need to talk to you. And I go, okay, what's the matter? They go, me and your mom, we've noticed lately you've been having a lot of problems. And you've been going off for no reason. And we're afraid you're going to hurt somebody. We're afraid you're gonna hurt yourself. So we decided that it would be in your best interest if we put you somewhere where you can get the help that you need. And I go, wait, what are you talking about? We decided my best interest? How do you know what my best interest is? How can you say what my best interest is? What are you trying to say? I'm crazy. When I went to your school, I went to your churches, I went to your institutional learning facilities. So how can you see a face? Say go to fix my face, leave your suffering at my face. By the time they fix my head, better lady, I'll be dead. I'm not crazy, here's the concern. You're the one that's crazy, here's the concern. You got me crazy, here's the concern. They take me in and it's just to say what's the only solution. Give me the professor, I'm just taking from the enemy myself. Incredibly slow grind. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not like a lifetime movie where <laughs> right. where there can and where there can be a learning lesson and you give them a big speech about how I love yeah. you and, and then they come back and then they're just values. thankful. They're just thankful for. They say, Jacqueline, Jacqueline, you were right. I yeah. shouldn't. I should do all of my mem beams and I shouldn't have the vape at school. And I should call the optometrist when I'm going to miss the appointment. And I should give 100% of every practice. And I should clean my car. But you know what? That's not how it is. No. You know what it is? And why why we still do it every day for the the young child that's still in our house Mm -hmm. is that it's a fucking, you have to beat them down. You have to. to, Well, Jesus, I haven't really put it like that. You have to constantly. You have to constantly pattern a behavior, a, yeah. a, a, a system of behavior 
that can lead to a successful and happy a lifestyle. Life. You have to you have to show them that they don't have to drive shitty car after shitty car if they take care of the one they have. They don't have to get in trouble with the law all the time. Like being involved, like having the cops come to your house isn't normal. Right. And you don't have to accept that as normal. Right. And you can expect better of yourself. Yeah. And you can do better. Yeah. And how you how you how you have any hope why the state invests so much resources into the foster care system why we do this is that by the hope is is that by repeated constant efforts day in day out of modeling a way of parenting that these kids can see that just the way they grew up isn't the only way right and there are other ways and maybe, and like what, what's been hard, I think, especially hard for you, but also hard for me, and I've tried to downplay it because it's hard for me to see how hard it is on you, but like these kids naturally want to revert to the way that they've been modeled before. That's comfort. That's comfort. That's normal. That's what yep. they've seen. Yep. And you have to, you have to break that down. Yeah. And say... I know you've been shown this. I was personally shown this when I was a child. Yeah, I grew totally. up much that way. Yep. You've modeled it to me in our adulthood. Like, but you have to show the kids. I know that this is the way that you've been raised. Mm -hmm. I know that these are the values that you've come to expect. I know that you grew up basically saying it's every man for themselves. Yeah. It's every child for themselves. Mm -hmm. Take what you can get, no matter how you can get it, even if it's illegal or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the hope of the foster care system, the point of the foster care system, why we do this, in my view, is that by day in and day out, providing stability for these kids, first and foremost, providing mm -hmm. a roof over their head, um, providing food in their bellies, providing that base level Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep, so that they can have the at least the fighting chance that their jumping point is that their basic needs are met and they have the ability to then see to those higher level executive functioning things. Providing that, that base level, yeah. letting them see you in your day-to-day -day interactions with other people, mm -hmm. with, with you and me between ourselves, um, with us, with them, with us, with the other kids, um, see that there are different ways of caring about and those ways can and are able to lead to a better life. That's why we do it. Yeah. And I, as hard as it is sometimes, as heartbreaking as it is sometimes, as heartrending as it is mm -hmm. sometimes, as fucking disappointing, as frustrating, um, as, as goddamn just heartless as the system is sometimes mm -hmm. we do it with the ultimate hope that you get through to one of these kids and maybe he'll have a better self-satisfied self-fulfilled um life because you gave a few years when he was in the formative years that's why that's why i do it yeah i think it's fair to say that that's why we do it both of us what is it that you, um, I guess sometimes I do ask myself though, like if we had biological children before going into fostering, um, would we have some different outlooks? I think it's fair to say we would. 
I think that a lot of, maybe some of the struggles we have with foster parenting um, is really struggles with just parenting in general. Yep. And so because we haven't had the biological parenting experience, I think it's hard for us to separate the two or know what the difference is. Well, I, I think, like, so yesterday we spent the day with our family and our nieces. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see how comfortable our nieces are at ages four through one yeah. um, around other other adults mm-hmm. in, that situ- in that setting that our kids aren't comfortable at at ages 19 through 15. Through 15. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like how, how unsure themselves they are, how un, how unstable everything seems, mm-hmm. um, how they live day to day. How, how kind of rough their just interactions are with adults. Yes. And um, how awkward. How rough, much smoother our four-year-old niece's interactions are with the adults. The confidence. In her the, life. The confidence yeah. in that, in that growing up. In that way, that is my needs are is, met. That is secure. My parents are the same every day. Mom's gonna be there. Mom's gonna make when sure. When I get home, okay. the electricity's on. Like yep. like Lennon's never had to experience. I, I mean, I have dinner tonight. Yep. Like it's like, not even on a radar. Uh huh. And uh, the kids constantly. Um, Growing up, not knowing that that the food the food insecurity probably tears me up the most, but like other other aspects as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when I don't know if they do this when I'm working late, but when you're working late, they're constantly asking where you are. Um, and like like where's Jacqueline? Where's Jacqueline? Like, Why is she working? Like, what like, is she doing? Like like, like <laughs> she'll be home. Like it's like seven o'clock. You know we're lawyers. Sometimes we have to work late hours. Like like I'm like like. With Andy especially, like he'll be home. She'll be home, bud. Like, like, yeah. like, just like that—that that security piece that isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, all we can do, and like what I've come to accept recently, is like the best way I can model is just like not to show any um, doubt. Like right. she'll be home. She'll be home. She'll be home. That's yeah, fine. Like I'm not even worried about it. Like not even phasing yeah. me. She'll be home. And and what's funny about that is it's illustrative of an illustrative illustrative example of that was that when CJ and Andy first moved in for probably the first three months. Uh-huh. Was it that long? Yeah. It was at least after the first no, of the, the year. Way right? longer than that. Way longer than way longer than, than three months. When we would pull into the garage, so they they would get off from school and walk on home or drive on home when CJ had a car. Um, and we would come up after that because yep. we'd get home five five thirty. Yep. They'd be home before us. Before wrestling started, like yeah. for the first couple of months, they yeah. would come right immediately after school. And um, they would literally, they'd hear the garage doors open. They would walk into the garage while our cars were pulling yep. in, like like unsafely even. Like you have to know my car is pulling into the garage, and you were standing in the way of that. Please move. They- but it was so. Much like, oh God, they're home, they're home, they're yep, home. Yep, oh my God, they, yep, they came. Yep, they're yep. back. Like they're here. Like they're they here. Greeted us at the door. <laughs> and like, like, and like, it's hard for me to understand that level of insecurity. Yeah, because they were 13 and 16. They were five. Yep. Like, um, and so that level of insecurity, um, I think was very frustrating to us at first, but then once we realized kind of why it was happening and kind of why it, uh, every single day, a trauma response would be that we were like, Oh shit. Yep. Like that's not good. And so, so, and so like, I guess big picture, 
Yeah, big picture. Big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, here we're two minutes and nine, two hours and nine minutes. Oh, Jesus, this. I'm sorry. Um, big picture. Big picture. We spent all this time. We spent basically every day of the last three years providing a home to these children. Big picture, it, I guess, tell me, in your view, what do you think that we've achieved? Where do you think that we're at? Do you think that the investment the state made into us, like, you know, as foster yeah. parents, was worth it? Yeah, I do. Yep. I think that uh, that's an easier question to answer in the sense that we were willing to accept teenagers. Yep. And we happily accepted teenagers without disruption. Yeah, the state paid us like what, like twenty five dollars a day. We per were willing kid. to stay in the trenches with teenagers and accept teenager placements, which I think more than pays off for the state. Yeah, you get a subsidy as a gar- as a foster parent mm-hmm. that that is dependent on basically the kids' needs. We got about twenty five bucks a day, which per is kid. close to base level. That's basically base yeah. level. So I think I think Justin to answer your your first question though about like where are we? Where what are we? What does this fucking mean to us? And I'll tell you maybe to not answer even answer that question, but what I feel inclined to say is that um, where are we? Is that I hope that we are um, a base for CJ, Michael, and Andy, in the sense that if they want to come back to our home for Thanksgiving or Christmas um, forever, they know that it's here. Mm-hmm. I hope that we are a happy memory sure. for CJ, Michael, and Andy in the sense that I hope that when they think back on their childhoods, they remember the experiences we shared, and I hope that that elicits positive, loving feelings for them. Yeah. And I hope that like maybe at the end of the day, um, more than anything, they never feel like they have to thank me. I want them to know that I did this because I care for them. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't them, it would be another child. Mm-hmm. In the sense that they deserve to have their basic needs met. And for someone to love them and see them to adulthood without him having, them having to worry about very adult things. Oh. And... Um, I never want them to feel like they owe us for that, even if it was hard for us. Yeah. And um, my hope every day when I work um, a child abuse and neglect case is that the children that I am filing cases on or see reunified with their parents or whatever is that the burden of life for them, especially while they're children, um, it's just lessened. Yeah. And that's what I hope. That's what I hope is where we are. That's what I hope our boys see in us. That's what I hope that they feel. Yeah. And I know that I feel it. Um, and I just hope that they know that like when they have their own families or if they want to go to their biological families for Christmas, like it doesn't hurt my feelings that, that that's the choice that they have because they are their family too. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that, um, they know that I respect that and love them very much. Yeah. Yeah. Even if most days they piss me off. <laughs> but that's what I would say. You? Yeah. I would say 
the process has been one of the incredible growth for me personally. Yeah. Um, one that I've seen take a disproportionate toll on you personally. Um, it's been incredibly enlightening to me um, as a person to see a child, even if it's a, a teenage child, a child's need for a strong and secure relationship with their mother figure. Like when I think about it, it's incredible that like all three of these kids lean on you in ways that they would never lean on me, even though that there's I've never done anything to like absolutely not to like not like like yeah. not ever be there for them. But like like they just like kids look to the mother. Like yeah. they just like they look to the mother and like we've had to like constantly explain to them and like constantly like ask them like hey during like you can ask Justin these questions or yeah, like, like Justin, you forgot your football pants uh, did you text Justin first yeah, like, how like, about like, that like, can you, you try can, that like, out like 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 like, <laughs> like like it's incredible like it's like it seems like like some of that's innate yeah like and some of that is like it's so not fair to the women of the world <laughs> right but like like. You just think, like, I have to think, like, why we did it and why we've maintained it. Yeah. Like, we didn't have to – we had an out for the two – for CJ and Andy. We had an out. Like, there was another home that was willing to take them. Yeah. And we said no because we had provided them security for a month and we wanted them to maintain that security for a period of time. So we agreed to keep them. I'm glad we did. Yeah, me too. I think that we've given these kids experiences that they would never be, they would never have had. I think we've given them a ground of support that they've never had. I think the fact that you're only 13 years older than the CJ allows you to have a certain perspective, and you and me both to have a certain perspective into their way of viewing the world that that they that other older uh, another generation of, of of adult maybe not have. Yeah. Um, I feel like. We've been there when they needed us to be there. I feel like we've given them space when they need, need to have space. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we did what we could. And maybe we weren't perfect parents. Absolutely not. Um, and certainly there were fucking bumps along the <laughs> way. I feel like, they're, like as time went on, those behavioral problems became less and less. Mm -hmm. and I think what's important is that we've modeled two, all three of them, at least I, I feel this way, I would hope they'd say the same, that when we haven't been perfect parents, when we have fucked up yeah. or been too hard on them or been too lenient on them or been whatever, cranky with them for no reason, we haven't been ashamed to be like, hey, I'm real sorry for that. Yeah, no. I fucked up here. It wasn't your fault. And I want you to know that this is me coming to you, letting you know I acknowledge that and I'm, I, I, I don't want it to happen again. One of the biggest points of shame that I have in my adult life, honestly, is... Like, we went on a cruise last year. I got too drunk in Cozumel, and I threw up in the taxi. And the kids were there. Yes. The kids saw me do that. Like, they saw me vomit in, in a taxi. And I've had to, like, be like, hey, guys, you shouldn't have seen me like that. Yeah. I, maybe I had too much fun. I had I definitely had too much to drink. And 
I made a mistake. Yeah. And like having to humble your, like me having to humble myself before these kids who are ultimately humble, like come to us with nothing. And, and they come to you basically asking you for nothing, trusting you to provide nothing. And then, um, accepting whatever you give them, Mm -hmm. like having to come to them and say, guys, I got too drunk. I fucked up. I'm really sorry. Um, I hope that you recognize that there are different ways to carry about. And then basically being like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Like that's hard. Yeah. Like that's like, like super hard because you're like, like I know in a sense that like I need to do better Mm -hmm. and you constantly need to do better. Yeah. And, I also know when I look at the global picture, when I look at the big picture, I know that like you can watch them progress over the time that we've had them. Definitely. How much more confident they are, how much more mature they are, mm-hmm. how much better their decision making is, how much how much more um, intentional their behavior seems. Yeah. Like how much more their hygiene practices, their hygiene, <laughs> like their their chore routine, like everything, like it. It's mind blowing how to me. It's mind blowing to me how just consistency and security and support can do mean a world for kids. Yeah, and because of that. Even though we had no experience being foster parents, even though we're selfish, shitty people, mm-hmm. um, even though we're, you know, we we had your, I think that we both had histories of, at, you know, I guess say at least neglect, probably, you know, at least in your case, maybe bordering bordering on. Times of emotional abuse. Active abuse. Um, That was our background. We were able to provide a home for these kids. We continue to provide a home for Andy. And and be a landing base for the other two. He'll be 16 in two weeks. Um, And we're going to keep doing it until they're out of the house. Yep. Uh, You know what? Two of them are out of the house, effectively. We're going to keep doing it as long as they need it. Yep. We have no legal obligation to. We were just guardians. We did not enter into adoption. Um, two of which, two of our kiddos have turned 19 oh. now at this point. We have no legal obligation to care for them or do anything with them, but um, that's just not how this is. As black pill as I am, <laughs> as nihilistic as I am, I know that with our kids, the, the more time we put in, mm-hmm. The more intentional we are about it, the more graceful we are in them and the more forgiving we are in them, the more present we are for them, I know the better they are. Yep. The better off they are. Um, and I, that's why I do it. And we're here. We're, we're still here. here. Yeah. We're hanging in. All right. So I don't know. I might make this two episodes um, I don't know what we'll do with it, but I think I, I do want to end with this. Okay. Um, and that is that if anyone is interested in foster parenting, um, or supporting the foster care or child and child and abuse, child abuse and neglect system, um, department of health and human services, children and family services, 
um, in their area, uh, please never hesitate to reach out to us. Yeah. Um, I think both of us would be more than willing to spend our time talking to you about the process. Even if you don't think that you could be a foster parent, how you could support the systems yeah. and improve them in many different ways. And, um, and this state, over 3,000 kids every single year come into care. Yeah. Right. And there just aren't enough parents. And I, I, I don't know how else to say it. There's, there are more kids than there are available homes and kids because of that, the courts are unfortunately in situations where kids have to stay in bad situations. Yeah. And, and even if you don't think that your home could be a foster home, um, there are many different ways that you can be supportive of a specific foster family or of the foster care agencies or system. And we would love to help link you up with resources to do so. God, yes. Like, you know, you, you might not understand how much you can help a home by like offering to babysit a night for respite yeah. or offering to just fucking cook a meal yeah. or just, or like, just like. Take some, your kid to the movies. Sometimes, like, honestly, I feel awkward when people do this, but like often people in the community will approach us and be like, it's so great what you're doing for those kids. Like that kid is so sweet. He's so nice to my mm -hmm. kid. Like, like sometimes I feel weird. But at the same time, like, I never feel bad. No, because it seems like in the system, um, we're constantly assessing where these kids are at. Uh-huh. How, how has their trauma continued to affect them? Uh -huh. What therapists are they seeing? How many visits are they getting with parents? How, what are their behaviors after the visit? So on and so forth. It's all from a very negative slant. So even, even in the smallest way of supporting a foster family, by just saying, like, hey, I recognize your kid and, um... He's doing X, and that's great, and it's not uh -huh. related to his foster care condition. Uh -huh. Is huge. If you're one of those people that have ever come up to me and said, "Hey, uh, Andy's a great kid. He's so sweet. Like, I he's a joy at school or whatever." Yeah. And I acted weird. I apologize because, like, honestly, that shit is so uplifting. Yeah. Right. And so, like, like you can help. There's so many ways to help out, and. Um, Reach out to us. We can we can we can hook you up with the people that you need if you're if you're willing to consider it. Um, it's not for the faint of art. It's um, it is is an emotional ordeal. It's a roller coaster. We've been talking for two and a half hours. Um, we could go for another two and a half. I'm sure. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, we did. I didn't even. We didn't talk about really the department or the help the problems with the fucking department. That may be for a different episode. I don't know. But like, it is an emotional roller coaster. Uh, but you know what? The children of this state are fucking worth it. And they need you. They need us. So, I hope that you'll consider helping. Um, thank you for listening. Um, uh, we love you. Gotta explain